<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. A top Vatican cardinal says Pope Francis knew all about sexual abuse allegations against Cardinal Theodore McCarrick of Washington, D.C., and did nothing about it. Hey, what do you say, folks? Here we go. I'm back. Look who's here. <laughs> yeah, how about it? Look at you. Good to see you today. Uh, and uh, hope you uh, missed me. I certainly missed all of you. Nothing happened while I was away, as always. I mean, you know, I just I hate to leave you in the dog days of summer when there's nothing to talk about. But somehow you managed to make it through last week. Honest to God, in probably the busiest news week of the entire Trump administration, which is saying something. I, I, I hate to inform you, uh, you are no longer allowed to go on vacation. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> we just when Bill says he's going on vacation, we just brace for the worst because we know it's going to be an insane news week. Honest to God, it really was. And as much as you go on vacation to get away from it, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you can't get away from it. No, no, not these days, and, and and particularly not with things happening on the scale that they did. Uh, but it was a colossal Newsweek and a disastrous Newsweek for Donald Trump, to be sure. At any rate, pardon me, while I... Woo. Live radio, folks. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think that's only the second time in the history of talk radio that I have sneezed what a way on to the come air. Back. Yeah, Sorry exactly. about that. But... <laughs> so I'm back. Obviously not in such great shape, but I'm back, and it's great to see you. And we got lots to talk about, of course. Look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. If I can remember how to do this, <laughs> we'll get right to it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. Hey, have you been to Washington, D.C. recently? Uh, well, I live here. I know you do. I was talking to everybody else. Oh, but oh. maybe you have, because apparently a lot of people are coming to Washington, D.C. for the eighth consecutive year. Washington, D.C. has topped its own tourism record. People are coming here in record numbers. In fact, the government recently reported that about 20.8 million people visited Washington, D.C. 
from just around the United States. This is not international visitors. This is just here in America. Uh, that is a 4.2% jump over 2016. So these are the numbers from 2017 that we just yeah. got. Yeah. And these are not just the people that are staying at the Trump Hotel, by the way. These are people just <laughs> coming to Washington, D.C. to see it. So... When I bitch about the number of tour buses, yeah, and how crowd, you know, how you're not crazy, the, how clogged the streets get, yeah, right? I'm not crazy. You're not yeah. making it up. There are actually more people here. Every, but every I think day. I heard you say this does not include international visitors. It does not include international visitors. This is just from here in America. That's just, I mean, that's a huge jump. Yeah, uh, yeah, year over year. So, <laughs> I, which is amazing that people still want to come here with Donald Trump as president. I don't love being here with him as president, so I don't know why y'all would want to come. But but come on to Washington, D.C. And, and just stay the hell out of Bill's way when you're on the tour bus. Okay. By the way, I will predict before the end of the day, Donald Trump will take credit for this. <laughs> oh. They're coming to see you're him. You're right. You're absolutely right. Of course. Of course that's going to happen. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, Bill, you're back. You were out uh, on the West Coast. Did you go hiking at all in the Santa Monica I, Mountains? I went hiking, but I was in Northern California. Okay. Not, but right, I have done to... a lot of hiking in the Santa Monica Mountains. Well, be careful if you're out there in Southern California and go hiking in the Santa Monica Mountains. There is a new problem there. They're giant water bugs. Giant oh, water huh. bugs that will bite your toes. Here's the thing, by the way. They're very aggressive, <laughs> and they can catch and eat an animal as big as 50 times its size. And they're saying that hikers are going out there and they're getting their toes bitten by these water bugs, which are very, very painful. Again, these bugs hunt turtles, they hunt snakes. Whoa. And they have a paralyzing toxin, which will not, you know, do a lot of damage to a human, but it will hurt a lot and could yeah. do a little bit of damage. Yeah. So just be careful if you're out there on a hike. Wear some steel-toed hiking boots or something. No, I, I had an apartment right at the foot of the Santa Monica Mountains in, in, uh, in Hollywood. And used to hike there almost every morning and and jog up there. And the my problem then were mountain lions. This is the Bill Press Show. America mourns the loss of a giant in Senator John McCain. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Great to see you. Hello, hello. It is a Monday, August 27th. It's good to be back from a little vacation on the uh, West Coast up in uh, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, and uh, down in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area in Inverness, California. Uh, here we are back with all of you today. Uh, what a what a big news week it was last week. Uh, I tried to stay away from the news. It was impossible to do so because every day so much news was breaking, and it was a disastrous week for Donald Trump. Uh, as we will discuss, I think uh, last week marked the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency. So much to talk about. It's good to see you today. Of course, uh, we'll start with the uh, death of Senator John McCain one day after uh, he decided he was not going to uh, continue any medical treatment for his uh, brain cancer. Um, funeral arrangements set for this week. One person who will, of course, be very, very, very conspicuously absent because John McCain did not, does not want him there, did not want him there, is Donald Trump himself. The DNC, in a big meeting in Chicago, taking a big step toward making the Democratic Party more democratic, uh, by 
cutting the power of the superdelegates. They will not vote on the first ballot at the next convention. Uh, a big uh, um, Bernie Sanders change uh, that Bernie Sanders promoted uh, that the both sides of the party, the progressive side and the establishment side, if you will, agreed to uh, in a colossal and a very, very big uh, and important step uh, over the weekend in Chicago. Um, Mike Pompeo on his way to North Korea when Donald Trump pulled the plug and said, nope, is a good sign, a, a, a very important sign of the fact that what we've been saying all along is that the uh, big summit in Singapore was nothing but a showboat, nothing but a publicity stunt. Uh, nothing has happened, and Donald Trump himself acknowledged that by pulling the plague on, on uh, Secretary of State Pompeo's visit to North Korea. Uh, and, of course, we see that uh, we heard that the one of the top cardinals in the Vatican, who was the Vatican's representative to the United States, sent a blistering letter over the weekend saying that Pope Francis himself knew all about the fact that Washington's Cardinal Theodore Car McCarrick uh, had, was himself, rather, not just covered up, but was himself uh, charged with sexual violations, sexual abuse of young priests and young seminarians, and the Pope knew that and did nothing about it, kept Cardinal McCarrick in his role years before he resigned, which he did just a couple of months ago. All of that to talk about. Oh, my God. Uh, do we have enough time today? Can we extend to four hours today? I think we're going to need it. Uh, at any rate, it's good to have you with us as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, as we join you on um, radio, of course, out in the great WCPT in the Chicago area, statewide on Indiana and Indiana Talks, and looking at you on Free Speech TV. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Don't forget, join the fun, join the program, join the conversation. Your comments, welcome uh, at BP Show on, on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, I want to start with John McCain. Because, you know, uh, when I was doing, back in my crossfire days, everywhere I went in this country, the question I was always asked, and you've heard me say this before, people would say, hey, you know, you're in Washington, you're on CNN, you've met them all, you've interviewed them all. Are there, is there any politician of either party that you really can say that you admire? And I always answered without hesitation the same way. Yes, John McCain. Republican, Reagan Republican from Arizona, but still the one of all of them that I've met, and I did, in fact, know them all, uh, and know most of them today, was John McCain. Why? Not because he was perfect. I think that's important to recognize. And, you know, nobody's ever claimed that he was perfect, and certainly there are a lot of things about that John McCain did that we can disagree with. Well, he supported the war in Iraq. Uh, I didn't. He voted for Neil Gorsuch. Let's not forget that. He was a Reagan Republican conservative. He was no progressive. Um, he appointed, he named Sarah Palin as his running mate. I mean, that'll always be um, an asterisk, more than an asterisk in John McCain. There'll always be a black cloud over John McCain's record. Uh, so, you know, we can, he voted for the, he supported, did not vote, but he's, because he was absent, but he supported Donald Trump's tax cuts. Uh, last December, after opposing George Bush's tax cuts. I couldn't understand that. Uh, so a lot of things that John McCain did that I disagree with, we could all disagree with, but he was a lion. He was a giant in the Senate. 
He's the kind of politician that we need more of in both parties. For one thing, because he had a spine. He did have a backbone. Didn't always use it, but he had it. Um, and you know, let's start with the fact that you cannot take – only Donald Trump could take away from the fact that John McCain is a genuine American war hero. Look, he was shot down in Vietnam. He served five and a half years in a Vietnam prison, the Hanoi Hilton, tortured, hung by his with his arms, ropes around his arms behind his back and hung that way. Um, both of his arms were broken. Um, John McCain, uh, two, year, two of those five and a half years in solitary confinement. And we know because once they discovered his father was uh, the admiral in charge of the Pacific, uh, they said, we'll let, you, we'll let you out early. And John McCain, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not leaving until everybody else here leaves. A real courage. It was only a real profiling courage. You know, the, to the extent, I always think about this for some reason, but the extent to which his injuries, he never fully recovered. To the end of his life, he could not lift his arms above his head. I mean, imagine that. John McCain could never comb his own hair. Somebody every day had to comb his hair for him. That just sticks with me as someone who made the kind of a sacrifice. And then Donald Trump had the audacity to attack him uh, early on his campaign, remember? Early in his campaign, everybody said that was the end of the, uh, the Trump candidacy. The Republican National Committee issued a statement condemning John McCain when he said this about uh, condemning Donald Trump when he said this about John McCain. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Yeah, right. Uh, and John McCain was a maverick. He was one of those guys who would be willing to break with his own party. As I mentioned, he didn't support George W. Bush's tax cuts. Famously, he came in and sh and and um, just totally destroyed the Republican chances of repealing Obamacare when he made that famous now thumbs down vote uh, on the on the floor of the Senate. Um, he was a gentleman. Uh, he was a fighter. He had strong political beliefs. He didn't engage. Who did? Who has? Nobody engaged in the kind of ugly campaign rhetoric and ugly personal attacks that Donald Trump uh, 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 engages in. And the thing, one of the things about John McCain is he had a Basically, he's everything that Donald Trump is not, or was everything Donald Trump is not. He had a, an incredible relationship with the media. And again, that's where I got to know him as a, as co-host to Crossfire. Um, he called the media, he joked about the media and, and referred to the media as his base. Um, but the main point was that he respected members of the media and he would answer your question. He was made himself accessible, available, and would answer your questions. Oh, boy, how unusual is that today? I remember in the 2000 campaign, I went up to New Hampshire uh, and got a chance to ride on the Straight Talk Express. You know, And in between campaign events, you'd sit on that bus, and John McCain would sit there, surrounded by a group of reporters, and we could ask him any question we wanted. And the whole length of the trip, he was just sitting there on the bus answering questions. Nobody would do that. Nobody has done that. Nobody would do that today. Barack Obama didn't do it. Hillary Clinton didn't do it. Nobody could do it. Maybe nobody was capable of doing that. Um, I read a little story over the weekend by a reporter, I forget the guy's name, who was saying that he met John McCain as a reporter in the Capitol when uh, the elevator opened. You know, in the Capitol, there are elevators that say senators only or members only in the House. 
and the the door of the elevator opened, and he was standing in front of happened to be a senator's elevator. McCain was inside with one other Republican senator, and the and the reporter said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know this was the senator's elevator." And McCain said, "No, come on, just jump on," and he did. And then McCain said, "So who do you work for, son, or something like that?" And the guy said, "I work for Senator Kennedy." And John McCain said, oh, Teddy Kennedy, a great guy. I don't know. We, we could not do our job without Teddy Kennedy. And the other Republican senator, who was some conservative, just sort of scuffed and said, oh, yeah, right. And the next floor, this other senator got out. Door closes. John McCain turns to this reporter and says, don't pay any attention to him. He's just an a-hole. Uh, but that's the kind of, that's the kind of relationship uh, that he had. Um, I remember John McCain's sense of humor. I've told you this before, but my, one of my favorite jokes around Washington is John McCain repeated it often that coming from Arizona, he came to Washington and he soon learned the difference between a cactus and a caucus. Yes. With a cactus, the pricks are on the outside. Uh, well said, John McCain. So, um, as I say, to, in response to the question... Any politician you admire of either party? Yeah, John McCain. In response to the question, I also get a lot of time, how can you fix this political system? I would say we need more politicians of either party like a John McCain. And I think it's very illustrative of what where we are today that uh, John McCain will be buried on, for first as a series of uh, tributes to John McCain this week. He will lie in state Wednesday. Uh, in the Arizona State Capitol. He will lie in state in the Capitol Rotunda, the Senate Rotunda here on Friday. I definitely will be there to pay my respects. Uh, Saturday, there will be a, a, a memorial service at the National Cathedral where President George W. Bush and President Barack Obama will both speak. Notice, the two politicians that he ran against for president will both speak at John McCain's service at his request. And Saturday, Sunday, he will be buried uh, at the uh, U.S. Naval Academy up in Annapolis. Donald Trump will not be present at any one of those services uh, at the request of John McCain, just like Donald Trump was not welcome at the service of Barbara Bush. I think that tells you a lot about Donald Trump uh, and where the Republican Party is today. Now let's get back to a little bit about last week. Oh, my God, what a colossal week last week. Um, it was, I mean, I made a little list this morning of the things that I remember that happened last week. Peter, you can help us out here. <laughs> sure, okay. sure. So um, all in one week, this, this is not like the last year, all in one week, Paul Manafort was convicted on eight counts. By the way, okay, they didn't reach a conclusion on 10, but they didn't find him not guilty on 10 either. There was one holdout, but 8 out of 10, uh, 8 out of 18 counts convicted. Um, huge victory for Robert Mueller. Uh, and again, the witch hunt, well, this witch hunt has certainly caught a lot of witches. <laughs> He's one of the latest ones. Uh, Michael Cohen reached a plea deal. By the way, by the way, those two stories happened in the same hour. Yeah. On yeah. Tuesday afternoon. It was... It was the Manafort, then the Cohen, and then Duncan Hunter. Right. Which yes. I'm sure you're going to get to. But those Duncan, all happened yeah. in like an hour and a half on Tuesday afternoon. Unbelievable. Right. Yeah. 
So just sticking with the Donald Trump thing before we get to Duncan Hunter and the other aspect of the other uh, sort of examples of corruption here in Washington, D.C. So Michael Cohen reaches a plea deal uh, with the attorneys in New York. And by the way, just about everybody agrees that Donald Trump is in more jeopardy from the New York prosecutors than he is from maybe Robert Mueller. Because Robert Mueller, remember, has to issue a report, goes to the Justice Department, and then goes to Congress, and it's up to Congress to do something about it. But nothing might happen. And nothing could happen, right? Yeah. And the New York prosecutors, they're on their own, baby. Yeah. They are on their own, right. Uh, at the same time, uh, so after Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen, uh, Alan uh, Weisselberg, who is the, I think, I think this could be the most important of all, he is the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer of the Trump Empire. He Boy, you think he doesn't have the tax returns? He wrote the tax returns, right? He knows everything. He is cooperating with Robert Mueller now and has been granted immunity to do so. So he can he, – he's another one who has flipped, if you will. You know, it, I, I agree. That was kind of an undercovered story from last yeah. week, and I think that this could be – I mean, it, it, it's not – I mean, look, collusion is a big part of it, yes. The salacious stories of him – with Follow the porn the stars, that's obviously Follow very interesting, but it all comes down to the cash. Yep, Follow It all the comes money. down to the money. Uh, so in addition to that, we found out that Don McGahn, the White House attorney, has been talking to Robert Mueller and spent over 30 hours being interviewed by Robert Mueller. I forgot that was last week. <laughs> we got that we found that out. God knows what he told him <laughs> yeah. about meetings at the White House and everything. And he did that, by the way, and Donald Trump said, yeah, let's cooperate with Robert. This was early on, over 30 hours. So they've got all – so they've been they've been right inside the end of the White House, the top, top, top levels of White House counsel. And Don McGahn is not an idiot. He's not, he's not dumb enough to lie right. right, the way that Donald Trump probably would. Right. So um, Michael Cohen has flipped. Uh, Alan Weisselberg has flipped, gotten immunity. The only one who hasn't is Paul Manafort. Rick Gates, of course, has flipped. Um, also flipped and given, given immunity is, here he is again, William Pecker. <laughs> uh, we always laugh about his name, but he is the publisher of the National Enquirer. He's the one who made the deal with, with Stormy Daniels. Uh, what do they call it? Catch and kill, I Catch think. Catch and kill, yeah. Right. So they get the story, and then they pay the person not to publish the story, which they did with Stormy Daniels. She's trying to get out from under that deal. So now, Pecker, who is a close friend of Trump and who supported him all the way, uh, he has flipped and he's agreed to cooperate with the special counsel, Robert Mueller, and he has been granted immunity as well. And he knows where a lot of the bodies are buried. There are other, there are other deals that he made that we're going to find out about, including one we already found out about, which is <clears throat> Are you ready for this? The doorman oh my God. of the Trump Hotel who had made a deal, same thing, catch and kill, with the National Enquirer reporting about yet another affair, alleged affair, that Donald Trump had, this time with a housekeeper in the Trump Tower with whom he had an illegitimate child. And that child is out there somewhere, some little Donnie Trumpy. Somewhere, right? Yet again, another kid out there, according to the doorman. This is unbelievable. And uh, this happened, look, this happened years ago. Maybe it's not an impeachable offense, but it just 
reinforces what a total scum, you know, Donald Trump is and what he's been able to get away with. And this was another guy who was paid not to tell his story. Now his contract has expired, uh, and apparently, according to CNN, uh, he is willing to talk. I got to tell you, when you add all of those things up, I mean, I honestly, honestly believe that last week marked the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency. There's no way I think he escapes the legal uh, implications of uh, and consequences of of what has been revealed, and it's it's a case that's building and building and building, getting stronger and stronger uh, every day. I haven't seen it yet. I saw an advanced copy of it, but check out the cover of this week's New Yorker magazine. Shows Donald Trump, and he's running down a hill, and he's looking behind him, and there's a pack of baying dogs running after him, and it's like closing in. And that's really what it is. And those running dogs represent not the media. No, those running dogs represent the special counsel's investigation, Democrats taking control of the House, which looks more and more likely, and the New York prosecutors all combined coming after Donald Trump. And, um, and, and you know, no way out of it, I believe. No I way mean, out of it. And, and, you know, because we, we've talked about this. Yeah. I have not been one saying... People always ask me, how long is he going to last? Right, I keep saying, right, no, right. No, is he going to resign? I said, no, he's not going to resign. He's not going to retire. No, he's not going to be impeached as long as Republicans control the House. You're just going to have to accept the fact he's going to be there for four years until we throw him out. Now, I'm not so sure. Yeah. After last week, I'm not so sure. Look, you've got people very, very, very close to him that are willing to tell their side of the story, but for whatever reason, right? Maybe they... You know, like a Don McGahn who realizes that if you lie to federal prosecutors, you could get in a lot of trouble. Or the Weisselberg, the CFO, like if they start coming after the money and they look at him and they look at his role in covering some of this stuff up, that'd be a big that that would be a big deal for him. You look at uh, Michael Cohen, right? The guy doesn't want to go to prison for a long period of time just to help out some guy that treated him like garbage his whole life. So, yeah, and then people are not willing to die on that hill of protecting Donald Trump. No. As much as he values loyalty well, and yeah. all this crap. But loyalty for him is a one-way street. Exactly. Exactly. To- totally. Totally one-way street. Um, and uh, <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Um, mean, meanwhile, all Donald Trump can do is, well, I know, Peter, you, you played this last week, but uh, all we hear from the White House is the same old crap. Um, he didn't do anything wrong. That's an, a ridiculous accusation. The president in this matter has done nothing wrong, and there are no charges against him. Oh. That, that, by the way, the president has done nothing wrong, and there are no charges charges against him. I think she, we had a montage of it last week. She said it like nine times in one press briefing, in the, in the Wednesday press briefing after the Manafort uh, right. Cohen right. stuff. Yeah. And that's the only thing they have now. The president did nothing wrong. He has been charged with nothing. Right. Yet. Yes. No, Exactly. <laughs> And remember, the president also says that then he also said in response to Michael Cohen, uh, by the way, so remember when James Comey uh, testified in front of Congress, I think it was either when he testified in front or in his book where he said the first time he talked to Donald Trump at Trump Tower, he had the feeling that he was back in his days as a New York as a prosecutor dealing with mafia figures because the way Donald Trump talked and the way he acted, it really reminded him of the Gotti family and those. Well, it's the same thing in response to Michael Cohen's 
um, plea deal where Donald Trump said, here he is, he flipped. Flipping should be illegal. Chris Christie said yesterday on one of the talk shows, no, former prosecutor, former U.S. attorney, Chris Christie said, no, that's the way the system works. It's straight out of a mob movie. It is, absolutely. And what? remember the, the mob guys, who were the people that they hated the most? The rats. The rats. Yeah, Exactly. Snitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's well, a great scene in Goodfellas. This is Donald Trump from the Queens. This is the yeah, way he grew up. Exactly. This is who he is. There's a great scene. He from, is a mob figure. In, in Goodfellas where uh, the Ray Liotta character is a young kid, gets caught, and he doesn't tell anybody, doesn't doesn't rat out any of the mafia guys. And when he goes to jail for a short stint, he comes out, they throw him a huge party because that's the greatest thing you can do is to not rat out or snitch on your associates. And that's what Donald Trump lives by. Yes, which is why he will pardon Paul Manafort. Yeah. Okay. Hey, a couple of other things before we take a quick break here. By the way, great a great lineup of guests today. Graham Weiss is going to join us from Governing Magazine. Matt Ford from the New Republic and Matt Gertz also uh, from Media Matters for America. Just a couple of other things. Kudos to the DNC. Big, big, big vote. We've talked about it with Chairman Tom Perez here in studio with uh, Chairman uh, uh, Larry Cohen, who's the co-chair of the Reform Commission, which uh, brought this proposal to clip the wings of superdelegates at the next Democratic convention and not let superdelegates dictate and decide the nominee before the people of the United States have to vote the way they did in 2016. Uh, Superdelegates flocking to Hillary Clinton and supporting her before she even announced her candidacy, making it impossible for somebody like a Bernie Sanders to win or anybody else to win. It was a bad system, a tilted system, an undemocratic system. The DNC fixed that in Chicago over the weekend by saying, uh, at the next convention, the superdelegates will still be there. They'll still be honored. They just won't vote on the first ballot. The people will vote on the first ballot, and then the superdelegates can weigh in. Also, as we just alluded a little bit later, uh, a little earlier, rather, uh, Duncan Hunter, uh, the second Republican congressman in a month to be indicted uh, after Chris Collins from New Jersey was indicted for insider trading. Um, Duncan Hunter, now from California, uh, San Diego area, north 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 San Diego County, uh, indicted on all kinds of financial uh, irregularities where he was using his campaign money. He was a party animal, known in San Diego for just walking into bars and just buying rounds and paying all kinds of money, exorbitant money. He was, he was charging his campaign for uh, airline tickets, vacation at Lake Tahoe for him and a friend, <clears throat> not his family, um, paying the kids dentist bills, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and when he got caught and indicted, he blamed his wife. Blamed his wife. Yes, he said. Oh, she's the one who took care of all the – I never knew uh, what we were spending money on. Uh, what a scum. At, at any rate, um, <clears throat> yeah, culture of corruption. Remember that phrase? It is back in full bore uh, at this time. Uh, and finally, the other big story we'll talk more about a little bit later. Yes, indeed, the – uh, one of the top cardinals in the Vatican, who was a former Vatican liaison to the United States, a papal nuncio, they call that, I wrote a letter over the weekend saying that he had personally told Pope Francis that Cardinal McCarrick of Washington was himself had was himself had himself been charged with sexual abuse of um, seminarians and young priests back, you know 
couple of decades ago. Uh, the Pope knew f- from the papal nuncio knew about these charges against Cardinal McCarrick and yet left Cardinal McCarrick in his role as one of the top cardinals in the United States and even appointed him as head of a commission to um, look into allegations of sexual abuse among priests in the United States. Uh, This was years before Cardinal McCarrick resigned, which he did just a couple of months ago. Uh, If true, by the way, he also said that Pope Benedict uh, XVI knew about this as well. If true, this is a huge blow against Pope Francis, and this this could be the the end of Pope Francis's uh, reign as 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 Pope, which is sad because um, he's a great Pope. He's well, he's been a great Pope on so many many other issues, uh, brought such refreshing openness uh, to to the Catholic Church, and looked like he was a, the Pope who was going to really reform the Church and the Vatican and lead it out of these problems that it's had, and now he's just, look, could have admired the church even more in these problems by personally being uh, responsible. And we know this is also, uh, it, it's a fact, not just allegations, uh, that there were bishops in Argentina that the Pope knew about too, that he did accuse of sexual abuse, that he did, that he did nothing about. Um, curiously enough, uh, the Pope was asked about this Yesterday, when he was flying back from a weekend in Ireland, uh, a weekend also that didn't go well because the Irish people have finally like had it up to here with the Catholic Church. Uh, there are massive, massive uh, examples of sexual abuse uh, on the part of uh, Irish priests that, again, the Vatican and the Catholic Church did nothing about. But flying home from Ireland over the weekend, the Pope was asked about this letter from the former papal nuncio, uh, just looking for his name, Carlo Maria Vigano, former top Vatican diplomat in the United States. Uh, the Pope was asked about that letter uh, and the charges, and the Pope said he was not even going to respond to it. He didn't think it was uh, worth a response. He said it's up to, it's a matter of trust, and members of the media can look at that letter and reach their own conclusions. The fact that the Pope would not deny that charge nor affirm that charge, would simply not comment, uh, I think is very troubling. We'll see where this goes, but this is a real body blow to the, uh, to the, to the Catholic Church. Uh, I told you there was a lot to talk about. So here we are, and we're just getting started. On this Monday, August 27, good to be back. Great to see you again. Uh, don't forget, weigh in with your comments on the news of the day on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll take a quick break. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Hey, here we go on a Monday, August 27. Hello, hello, hello. Great to have you with us. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., overrun with tourists, more tourists than ever before. Last year, 20.8 million from different parts of the United States alone coming to Washington, D.C. So if it looks a little crowded here on the show, uh, we are getting more and more crowded. Uh, Good to be with you today as we are brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, the great men and women of the AFGE, uh, scoring a big victory over the weekend when a judge uh, ruled against a couple of executive orders that Donald Trump had signed, making it easier to fire 
of federal employees. Um, President J. David Cox of the AFGE uh, fought that ruling, and uh, a judge agreed with them over the weekend. I'm sure you can find out more about it if you go to their website at afge.org. Here we go. Um, yes, lots to talk about. Grand Vice will not be joining us, uh, maybe another day this week, um, but um, we've had lots of comments so far, Peter. Yes, indeed. People are excited you're back, Bill. Lots of comments on Twitter at BP Show, where you talked about all the tourists coming to Washington, D.C. Melanie Miller says, we're coming in mass numbers to protest this administration, <laughs> which is, I hadn't thought about that. That's right. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Uh, also, a lot of those people have come to protest. Totally. In front of the yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, it, it, these these were the numbers for 2017. So, like, you think about the women's march, right? And yeah. all the other marches yeah. that happened right. here. Uh, Gina says people are coming to D.C. to see it before Trump destroys it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's certainly one way to look at it. Also about the passing of John McCain and uh, Donald Trump not being invited, Holly says, how vile do you have to be that people don't even want to be around you when they're dead? <laughs> That's an excellent point. Excellent point. Also, a couple of comments uh, on the Vatican. This Can comes from... Just mm -hmm. yeah. One other thing we didn't point out is, remember, last week Donald Trump signed the John McCain uh, uh, Defense Authorization Act. Sure. And just showing how petty he is would not... Went through the entire ceremony, signing ceremony, without mentioning the name of the bill because he did not want to mention John McCain's name. Yeah. That's how small he is <laughs> compared to how big a giant John McCain was. Also, you talked about the Vatican uh, in the YouTube mm. chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. A lot of different <laughs> comments uh, on this uh, issue. Bruce says, the Pope ain't going anywhere. Pope is the emblem of Christ on earth. The Pope is the real deal. 2,000 years of social manipulation will take some time to heal. The Pope is golden to me. So a little bit of a Pope defender there. Also, uh, Dewey says, the church deal is not new. They all knew. They all know and protect. All of them should be subject to the laws just as any other citizen. And Josh says, the whole church needs to be held accountable for this. Also worth noting that the previous popes, like Benedict, knew and the church said nothing. They only want Francis gone because they don't like him. If you have a comment, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show or in the YouTube chat room, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Now, I do have to say that this yeah. this letter written by is uh, by this cardinal, this is a conservative cardinal who has always been a critic of Pope Francis because he thinks Pope Francis is too liberal. So you got to consider the source. At the same time, if true, and the Pope has not denied it, if the Pope did know about Cardinal McCarrick and left him in that position, then then the Pope is guilty of a cover-up, and no matter how good he is on issues like climate change and others that I believe in, um, this is a real problem. And I think it could mean the end of the uh, France. I would hope not. I would hope not, but it could mean the end of the Francis papacy. Um, and I think the Pope's got a lot of... Uh, you know, maybe he has to hire Lanny Davis. Um, whatever, don't hire Rudy Giuliani. But I mean, I think he needs some. Uh, I think he needs some good counsel. The, the Catholic Church, from the beginning, from the beginning, has uh, handled miserably, and they just it gets it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse because, you know, they're living in denial. I think, and they're just counting on the goodwill of Catholics around the world. 
uh, to look the other way and just say, oh, let's just kind of move on. But the church has a fundamental problem that they have to deal with. Uh, some of the issues, uh, other issues that we talked about, by the way, uh, on the uh, uh, on the Donald Trump matter, and I said the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency, uh, pardon the plug, but I have told you, uh, another book coming out. I had a book earlier this week, uh, earlier this year. Um, <laughs> Might as well. It could have been I wouldn't earlier. be surprised if you put out another the, one. <laughs> the way I churned it out, it could have been earlier this you. week. No, earlier this year uh, in March, but this book comes out next month, and boy, it is certainly very timely, and we'll tell you more about it and uh, and what it's all about and where you can get a copy and all that kind of stuff. But the book is Trump Must Go. Trump Must Go, The Top Ten Reasons to Dump Trump and One to Keep Him. Hmm. I'll leave that uh, up to your imagination. Congratulations uh, again on another book. Uh, yeah, very excited about this one. The timing, again, is 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 right on. Had a lot of fun with it. Uh, the book kind of writes itself. And we're going to uh, find a way, by the way, with this book that you can contribute because I had to put this to bed like a month ago. <laughs> sure. Uh, so this was the top 100 reasons a month ago yeah. after last week. Yeah. <laughs> there are 100 more. Yeah. I could say the top 200 reasons <laughs> right. Right. to dump Trump and one to keep him. Yeah. Right. So we'll have a way uh, on, on a special website where you can add your uh, your own reasons and and keep it up to date, keep it running, make it a make it an ongoing a uh, book writing project uh, between you and me. Uh, Trump must go top. So we'll tell you more about this, and uh, you can uh, uh, check it out, and that'll be coming at you uh, just a little less than a month, a little less than a month from now. One other thing I mentioned. Um, uh, Peter, I was, you know, as you know, uh, out of out of town last week in the in the in the Bay Area, and I happened to go to um, to took our grandkids to a great uh, facility called Safari West, which is just outside of Santa Rosa, California. Santa Rosa, California. You hear that word, the name of that city, and what do you think about the disastrous fires there oh, last October? Man, yeah. Yeah. And sure enough, I was wondering whether we'd see any of this damage. The road out to this area, Safari West, is right through the very part of Santa Rosa uh, that was destroyed by that horrific wildfire last uh, last October. I got to, it was so heartbreaking to see just home after home after home. Just I mean, there were there were no no just entire an entire neighborhood wiped out. Uh, and all the homes were gone, and all you saw were either blackened foundations, chains across the road, empty properties, or you saw a lot of new construction, no new homes yet, but homes under construction where people were trying to rebuild. Um, one of the people I talked to there said a lot of those properties have just been, not abandoned, but people have just put their lots up for sale. They don't even want to live there anymore. They don't want to go through that uh, hell again, uh, the chances of going through that hell again. The school dis the school in Santa Rosa, California, the school population is down twenty five percent because there were that many kids whose who whose families lost their homes and or families that just decided to pull up and move out and get the hell out of there. Uh, and and didn't, didn't and will will never be coming back. But it was really, really uh so sad to to, to see 
this um, not quite, not quite a year later, and the community, it's, it's coming back, but it's going to take a long, long time, and the devastation is even worse, worse than you can, worse than you can That's imagine. That's awful. That's yeah, just, just awful. Yeah. Hey, one thing we talked about uh, just very, very briefly, had our chances, uh, and this is, this is really a big deal. Um, what, what came out of the summit in Singapore with Kim Jong-un? And Donald Trump, of course, crowing that uh, this was the end of any threat from North Korea. North Korea had promised that we're going to get rid of all the nuclear weapons. A total, they, they signed on for the total denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. And we kept saying, where's the proof? What's changed? Looks like nothing has changed. Donald Trump kept saying, no, 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 it's all on its way. And we're having more talks, and they've agreed to all of this. And uh, Secretary of State... Uh, Mike Pompeo on his way back to Pyongyang um, should be there now uh, for new meetings with the Korean leadership, North Korean leadership, uh, to make sure that they were in fact moving forward with what they had allegedly promised in Singapore. Uh, Donald Trump suddenly pulling the plug on that visit of Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, essentially admitting that nothing was happening that North Korea had reneged on its promise that Donald Trump had achieved nothing in Singapore and told Mike Pompeo, just stay home, don't even bother going over there. Uh, <clears throat> so where does this leave? Where does this leave things with North Korea? Uh, I, I think it means, again, it just proves that what we said all along was true, that Singapore was nothing but a photo, a giant photo op that Donald Trump wanted just so he could get the photo of that handshake with uh, Kim Jong-un and say, no other president would do this. I could do it. I did it. Look how great I am. And nothing happened. Nothing has changed. North Korea has not destroyed one single nuclear weapon. They haven't stopped building new ones. Yeah, they haven't tested any missiles, maybe because they don't need any, but they haven't agreed not to. Uh, and they still they still are a rogue nation, um, a, a probably the only example, real example of fascism on the planet, uh, and uh, now they have international recognition. That's what's changed because of Donald Trump. It's amazing to think about the big summit that they had just yeah. a couple months ago. Right. And and this new era yeah. of cooperation with North Korea and everything's hunky-dory. Remember, Donald Trump said, Americans can sleep well tonight yeah. because I have gotten rid of the threat of North Korea, North Korea's nuclear weapons program. No, we and didn't. now And now no, look we where we are. Now look where we are. Where, yeah. where are we with North Korea at this point? Basically, he's given them international standing, which they never had before. For nothing. They had to give up nothing. They had to make no concessions. All they did was just like convince him to come and have a meeting and legitimize them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Which didn't really look that hard to do. It looked like he was really up for it, and right. they had to do nothing. Yeah. Uh, in addition to uh, <laughs> everything else that happened last week, um, we talked about Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen, go down the list, Alan Weisselberg. We're going to hear more and more about him, the chief financial officer. We also had the Rudy Giuliani mess. And, you know, so... Normally, I take vacation. I'm not here for the show. And I don't do my weekly column for the Tribune uh, 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 syndication. 
last week, I had to. I had to break break ranks. And <laughs> I couldn't resist it, and I did write a column because Ed, I, I had to, in response to Rudy Giuliani's unbelievable exchange with Chuck Todd a week ago Sunday uh, on Meet the Press. I knew you talked about it last week, but it is still stunning when you think about what Giuliani asserted reflecting what the we've known from the beginning what the view of the Trump administration, Donald Trump and the people around him, is about the truth. The truth to them is not reality, right? The truth to them is what Donald Trump believes. Look, this gets back to... Or what he asserts. Kellyanne Conway with the alternative facts, Absolutely. Right? Like, this is just the mindset over they there. They do live in a total parallel universe. So uh, l- let's, let's hear again, this again, a week ago Sunday on Meet the Press, Chuck Todd interviewing Rudy Giuliani about the truth. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry, well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation about... Truth is about, truth. I, I don't mean to go like... I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. The President <laughs> of the United States says, I didn't... Truth isn't I, truth. Mr. Mayor, do you realize what... I? I no, I, no, th- no. This is going to become a bad don't, 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 do, don't, do, don't do this to me. Don't do uh, truth. That's my favorite Trump, Donald Trump says, I didn't talk about Flynn with Comey. Comey says, you did talk about it. So tell me what the truth is. Don McGahn might uh, know. If you're such a genius, John McGahn, Don McGahn doesn't know. If that's the situation, okay. they have two pieces of evidence. Trump says, I didn't tell him. And the other guy says that he did say it. Which is the truth? <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Again, what Rudy is saying there is the truth is whatever Donald Trump says it is. No. Now, you may have a case, and by the way, in any court case just about, you do have one person says this and the other person says that, but yet there is still the truth there. It doesn't mean there is no truth. It doesn't mean the truth is not the truth. It just means... You need a little more poking, prob- probing, uh, other evidence to con- to figure out which one is lying and which one is telling the truth. I mean, look, they're trying to position this in a way of saying, oh, it's our word versus theirs. Yeah. Uh, which, look, if I was in their position, but- that's really the only defense they have at this point. But I don't think it's going to come down to James Comey and Robert Mueller walking in and saying like, well, here's what we think. No. And just no. saying something, right? Like, it's going to be backed right. up with concrete, hard evidence, a.k.a. truth. <laughs> and eventually this is going to catch up. And when you think back, and I hate to get repetitive here, but you think back to what Donald Trump has asserted and what the White House asserts is the truth it's pretty astounding. Um, by the way, I remind you, the Washington Post on day, what was it, 580, July 31st, was day 588, I believe, of the Trump presidency. And there were over 4,000 and some absolute outright lies that the Washington, you know, fortunately, we can't, you and I can't keep up with all this. But there are a couple of news sources, Washington Post being one of them, that does, and the New York Times, that does track 
the lies every day. As of July 31st, the Washington Post had tracked average 7.6 lies a day from Donald Trump. And they include such things. This is, again, what the White House says is the truth. They, let's start with, number one, the largest crowd ever to attend any inauguration in history. Wrong. Where do we go? Barack Obama wiretapped Trump Tower. Wrong. They say it's the truth because Donald Trump says it. No. If Donald Trump says that, that doesn't make it true. Remember, uh, all the people, 5,000 people, 5 million people voted illegally for Hillary Clinton. Wrong. No evidence of that at all. That they bust people from Massachusetts into New Hampshire to vote in the primary. Wrong. I mean, where do you go? You, get, you just go down the list of these lies. Um, and if with every one of them, there's nothing behind them except Donald Trump said it. That's their definition of the truth. And as, or as Peter, you pointed out, Kellyanne Conway put it, they live in a world of alternative facts. Yeah. And so for, <laughs> you can hear the disbelief in, in Chuck Todd say, the truth is the truth. I really always say, no, it's not. <laughs> That's their world. Yeah. But it's also kind of like, look, this has worked pretty well for them. So far. So far. And at some point, it's going to run out, right? Like, it, 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 lying won't get you anywhere. Well, it'll get you the presidency, you know. And he's been a he's he's been president now for a, this stretch of time. Will he make it out of his first term? Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. But these things are catching up. They will eventually catch up. Is the point? Yeah. No. Uh, I no. I believe so. Uh, by the way, um, on the impeachment front. Every um, every story that I've seen um, this this week while I was gone in terms of the latest count and how the how the congressional uh, what the outlook looks like for the for the midterms everybody's coming every every story shows that every t- every time they look at this the chances look better and better that Democrats are going to take back the House not to get cocky not to get overconfident but there's a great opportunity there uh, and. Everybody says what that's going to mean is impeachment. There are even some Democrats now who were sort of cool on the idea of impeachment, were not there yet, who are starting to uh, warm up and saying there are more. There's, it, it, this is this is this is this is becoming. It's more and more imperative that we take a close look at this. One of them being uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell from uh, from California, uh, great progressive, done a great job in Congress. But he, he hasn't signed on uh, to any impeachment plan yet. Uh, yesterday he was on This Week with George Stephanopoulos and saying, yeah, it looks like something we got to take a look at. I think having thorough investigations, putting forth an impenetrable case to the American people, doing it in a bipartisan way is the proper way to do this. But we're not there yet. Not there yet. But it, It's interesting to see some of these people thawing on yeah, the idea. Like yeah. when we had uh, Congressman Dan Kildee in right. studio right here. He's been one of those guys that has said consistently... Now's not the time. Now's not the time. Now's not the time. And this was a couple of weeks ago before the Cohen and the Manafort stuff happened. And he said, look, I'm starting to think about it in a serious way. Uh, And sadly, um, another shooting in Florida yesterday. Uh, Two people killed uh, at a a shopping mall, a video video game uh, arcade. And uh, Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, running for the United States Senate, 
Uh, this is the best he can do in terms of response to that shooting. The conversation we have to have is, what's what's changed? I mean, you, when I was growing up, you know, we didn't, we never had conversations about this. Um, I mean, because it didn't happen. Yeah, what's changed, Rick Scott? Why don't you take a look at the easy accessibility, easy availability of uh, assault weapons, Rick Scott? Yeah, maybe the. Um, number of guns in circulation in the United States is what has changed since you were a little boy, Rick Scott. How can you continue to deny that? You deny it here the same way you denied it um, in the school shooting last year. All right, Matt Ford joins us this next from the New the Republic. Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. I'm back, and it's good to be back, and great to see you again here on a Monday, Monday, August 27. Hello, folks. Hope you had a great weekend. Boy, what a week. Last week when I was, uh, when I was gone, I just <laughs> can't believe how much happened. I was tempted to run back. There was so much going on, but I thought, no, I'll wait until today. We can catch up, uh, and we got a lot of catching up to do. Great to see you wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Bill Press Show. Uh, Monday, August 27, again, live from our nation's capital with all the uh, news of the day. On many fronts, a uh, top Vatican cardinal, a critic of Pope Francis, has written a letter saying, hey, Pope Francis, I told you months and months ago, years ago, that Cardinal McCarrick of Washington had his own history as a sexual predator, and you did nothing about it. That news has rocked the Catholic Church, already reeling on this uh, with this matter of uh, sexual predation on the part of so many Catholic priests. Meanwhile, um, Donald Trump um, suffering, again, a bad week, a very bad week, with um, thanks to Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort and others, and uh, the entire nation mourning the loss of a giant, uh, John McCain, who will be put to rest this week. Donald Trump not invited to any of the memorial services. So much to cover. Matt Ford joins us from the New Republic to help us through, particularly on the legal front. Hello, Matt. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks so much for coming in on a, on a Monday. We'll get to all the news of the day and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this Peter is Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, uh, yes. how's your self-esteem? How do you feel about yourself? <laughs> I you think... Feel okay? I think I'm the greatest. I'd give myself yeah. an A+. Plus. An A+. Plus. Okay, yes. well, there's an interesting paper that was recently published in the journal uh, Psycholo Psychological Bulletin, and it says that self-esteem for humans peaks 
at around the age of 60. Which seems a little late in life to be awfully full of yourself, but there's it the... It takes you that long to... That's what they're saying. They say that midlife for a lot of adults is so unstable. There's so many different things going on. Uh, you know, you're still working. you still got relationships and all this stuff. But once you hit 60, it's sort of like maybe 60 is the new 40, right? Like, <laughs> you feel pretty good about yourself, and you don't feel like you have to prove yourself anymore. Well... So the... that's where your self-esteem is the highest. Okay. For the record, yeah. I have felt that I'm the best since the age of two. Okay. All right, so. Yes, exactly. Uh. Okay. <laughs> I guess there are outliers. You're one of the outliers. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, also, how about this? If you go to the sports desk, the Little League World Series over the weekend. So the American team from Hawaii went on to defeat uh, South Korea. They South Korea was dominant during the whole tournament. They hadn't given up huh. a home run the entire tournament. Well, the very first pitch of the game, the player for Hawaii, Mana Lao Kong, sent a home run out of the park. They went on to win that game and win the Little League World Series. Congratulations Whoa. to Hawaii. It is their third Little League World Series title uh, since they've been playing baseball. Pretty cool, huh? It is. I don't even know the Little League still exists. It's still it out there, so man. Yeah. It's still out there. And by the way, Amazon has not been getting the best press recently. There are a lot of problems that Amazon has. Well, one thing that they are trying to do is incentivize its users to tweet nice things about them. Or not, I shouldn't say its users. Its employees. Incentivize its employees oh. to tweet nice things about them. Somebody, uh, I guess you could call them a, a, a whistleblower, tweeted about how Amazon is now giving $50 gift cards to employees who tweet nice things about Jeff Bezos and the company. Is that insane? That is. It's crazy. If that's the only way you can get people to say nice things about you? It's called the FC Ambassador Program. It's short for the Fulfillment Center Ambassador Program. And they're having employees... Tweet nice things about the company and say, like, hey, you know, you hear a lot of bad things, but it's not so bad. We love it here. That's disgusting. Yeah. On the other hand, if you and Ray want to... (laughs) (laughs) This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show, and I'm back in town. Uh, good to see all of you again on this Monday, August 27, with lots and lots to uh, talk about. Yes, uh, losing a giant in the United States Senate, uh, John McCain, the man, uh, Republican and or Democrat that I admired most in the United States Senate for many years, uh, and a top Vatican cardinal accusing the Pope himself of covering up the sexual misdeeds of Cardinal Theodore McCarrick of the United States. Uh, And then uh, the president's legal problems continuing compounding last week and help us through all of that. Uh, Matt Ford joins us from the New Republic. Hi, Matt. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Why? Where do we start? First of all, let's start with Manafort. You know, Donald Trump sort of dismissed. All this happened while I was out of town last Mm -hmm. week, of course. But Donald Trump dismissed the uh, conviction of Paul Manafort on eight counts, saying, yeah, but they didn't find him guilty on 10, so, like, uh, this is no big deal. Is it? Uh, Not from Manafort's perspective. You know, Manafort is 69 years old, uh, and now he is facing the possibility that he could spend the rest of his life behind bars. Uh, 
you know, for the jury to come back and find guilty charges on some of the counts uh, is obviously not ideal for Mueller. He probably would have wanted a clean sleep, uh, clean sweep. Um, but even a set of guilty verdicts from a jury, this is 12 ordinary American citizens, that's a powerful validation for his prosecution. And they did not find Manafort not guilty on the other 10. That's right. They didn't exonerate him or, or declare him anything <laughs> with that regard. Uh, they simply reached a mistrial. And that appears to be because uh, a lone juror held out um, who happened to be a Trump supporter. That ha Well, and do we know that? Uh, she went on Fox News and said that. Uh, she, she gave a very lengthy interview. And it was actually kind of fascinating because she said that she came in uh, very you know, supportive of the president. But as she heard more and more about the case against Manafort, she eventually decided that he was guilty of some crimes. On, on eight counts. On eight counts, yeah. She was the one that they said would, would show up uh, at the courthouse with a, with a MAGA hat in the back of her car, like the Make America Great Again, like in the back yeah. of her car. She was full on the Trump supporter. Right. How'd she get through voir dire? Uh, well, the judge didn't appear to ask questions about some of these political affiliations, uh, perhaps avo wanting to avoid some tricky appellate problems down the road. Uh, but none nonetheless, I think it's an interesting development that not only did a Trump supporter get on, but that Trump supporter was then persuaded to support some of the charges. So it's bad news for Paul Manafort, mm -hmm. certainly. Bad news for Donald Trump? Well, it's certainly not great if your former campaign chairman is, in, is indicted and found guilty on, you know, fraud charges. Uh, the long-term effect for Trump depends on what happens with Manafort next. He faces another trial in September. Uh, he could decide to go through with that trial and try his luck there. Or he could wait and see if he will receive a pardon from the president. Uh, and Trump has certainly spent the last week signaling that as long as Manafort doesn't cooperate, that pardon could be on the table. Right. But, I mean, w w w you say Paul Manafort has to decide whether he goes forward with this trial. I mean, right now, it's going forward, correct? Well, he could always, you know, do what we think uh, Mueller wants him to do, which is cooperate. Right. Tell him everything well, right, he knows. Right. But at this point. At this point, yeah. It looks like he's ha he hasn't cooperated yet. And no. And that he, there's no sign that he's going to, correct? No. Uh, but the, the thinking among legal experts is that the reason that, Mueller is pursuing these charges so hard against Manafort is to sort of build the inducement for him to flip. Right, right. Which, he, again, he hasn't done so far. Has not done so far. Uh, we know that Donald Trump could pardon Manafort. We also know that there are people around him who are saying, no, don't do this. Mm -hmm. um, what's, your, what's your call? Do you think that Donald Trump would? Uh, I, I think that he's shown a capacity to pardon people in the past for crimes that, you know, most presidents would not have pardoned them for. Uh, we think of Joe Arpaio, who was found in contempt of court in Arizona. We think of Dinesh D'Souza, who was found guilty of campaign finance violations. Um, Trump has a tendency to use the president's power to pardon to His reward. friends. Right. Exactly. Uh, and for Manafort, the added inducement there is that, uh, you know, the possibility Again, only Manafort and Trump know this, that uh, Manafort might have incriminating information about the president and the possibility that uh, the pardon would prevent Manafort from sharing that information. Okay, so within an hour of um, the news about Paul Manafort getting convicted comes word that Michael Cohen has reached <laughs> a deal <laughs> with uh, prosecutors uh, in, in New York. Uh, what's the deal and what's the meaning of that? Well, he's going to face probably about three to four years in prison. Um, he pled guilty to 
a number of sort of tax-related uh, charges stemming from his business with taxi medallions. Uh, he misled banks. He misled investors about sort of his assets. Uh, the most interesting charges, though, are the two that related to the election, uh, one of which involves his, his work to uh, get a hush money agree uh, agreement done with Karen McDougal uh, through the National Choir, and another agreement with Stormy Daniels. And both of these relate to the president's conduct. Uh, now, the federal prosecutor in Manhattan said, well, this is a campaign finance violation. Uh, you know, by either, if this came from you, it amounts to an excessive contribution to the Trump campaign. It's an in-kind donation, uh, you know, $130,000, $125,000. If this came from Trump, then it should have been reported to the FEC as a campaign expenditure. Uh, what was really damaging, of course, is that uh, Cohen went before the court and said, I did this not just of my own volition, but at the behest of the president. So, I'm not an attorney, right? Mm -hmm. But if Michael Cohen says, I broke the law, that's yeah. what he said. Right. I broke the law at the direction of my client. Didn't the client also break the law? Well, there, that is sort of unclear whether or not the, the campaign finance violation could be moved on to Trump himself. It certainly does not look good for the president. Uh, he is, I mean, almost a key. Wait a minute. He told his attorney to break the law. Well, uh, you know, the, the attorney should have probably told him that what he was doing was illegal. I mean, there's a lot of kinks that have to be worked out in terms of uh, whether or not Trump was truly culpable. Um, if Trump had directed somebody else to break the law, uh, that could be different. Um, but in this case, they're, they're the, the presence of, of the legal relationship there sort of alters the calculus a bit. Uh, there are several people who have... Uh, sort of opined um, that Donald Trump could be in greater legal jeopardy from what's happening in New York than what's happening with Robert Mueller. That increasingly seems to be possible. Uh, you know, this was something that the one reason that he got so frustrated about the, the raid on Cohen's office is because Cohen has worked with him for years. This is a man who has helped, uh, you know, navigate business relationships for him, represented him in defamation lawsuits. Uh, he, more than almost anyone else, knows Trump's dirty laundry. And the possibility that that laundry could be aired for federal prosecutors, uh, that's pretty ominous. Right. Um, and meanwhile, um, you've back on the microphone for a second. Donald Trump's response was, of course, Manafort's a liar and a leaker and everything else, uh, just like James Comey. And he flipped. And flipping should be illegal. Right. Right. Uh, that's certainly not an argument you usually hear the president make. Uh, you know, federal prosecutors use flipping all the time on a daily basis. Uh, the idea of giving low-level people uh, a lighter deal in exchange for going after higher-level targets, that's the basis of almost every organized crime and white-collar prosecution in the last century. Uh, as a result, you know, it's, it's just another sign of what Trump is sort of treating the American legal system as. He has an obligation under the Constitution to faithfully execute the laws. And instead, he treats it either as an obstacle for him to overcome or as a weapon to be used against the people he disfavors. And uh, Chris Christie, interestingly, over the weekend, <laughs> former U.S. attorney, says, mm -hmm. no, flipping is the way we get things done, right? I mean, there's a sense of irony to Christie criticizing him for that. If Christie had stayed on as, as the Trump transition chief, uh, you might have had a whole different situation with Michael Flynn. You might have had a whole different situation with Jeff Sessions recusing himself. This mm -hmm. whole thing could have gone differently. Right. Um, so then, in addition to Comey flipping, 
uh, no, I'm sorry, to um, Cohen flipping, right? Mm-hmm. We find out that Alan Weisselberg, who's the chief financial officer, has been given immunity by the special pro- special counsel. So nobody knows more about the Trump empire and the Trump finances, right, than the CFO, Alan that's, Weisselberg. That's exactly right. He's worked for the Trump organization since the 1980s when he was hired by uh, the president's father. Um, he's somebody who, as CFO, would have access to every dime that goes in and out of the Trump organization, uh, even maybe more so than Michael Cohen. He certainly knows, you know, where the fiscal bodies are buried. So what does he, what role does he play now? Is he one of Mueller's witnesses, sources? It's not exactly clear. Uh, You know, there's some questions that remain as to the extent of his cooperation, whether or not that cooperation was limited to the Michael Cohen case, in which case it would be relatively less serious for the president, or whether it was a broader blanket uh, grant of immunity as part of a general pattern of assistance with the prosecutor's office. Um, if it's the latter, that could be very serious for the president. That would indicate that, at a minimum, prosecutors are starting to scrutinize the Trump organization more heavily. But couldn't you speculate that they would not, Mueller would not give Weisselberg immunity, blanket immunity, mm-hmm. unless he knew he had something valuable? Yeah, prosecutors typically would not give up something like that without something in exchange. The other aspect here that's, that's also unclear is whether or not uh, Mueller, the depth to which Mueller is involved. Uh, Mueller referred the, the Michael Cohen case to the federal prosecutor's office in Manhattan. So those are career prosecutors, um, completely separate of the special counsel's investigation. Now, on one hand, that gives them a measure of separation from the Russia investigation. That you know saves them from a lot of political trouble that comes from that. Uh, but at the same time, if Weisselberg learns anything that's relevant to the Russia investigation, if he gives anything to prosecutors as part of an ongoing cooperation in Manhattan, the Justice Department can certainly use that in other prosecutions. Mm-hmm. Now, we also have a grant of immunity or deal, immunity deal, with William Pecker, the publisher of the National Enquirer. Mm-hmm. What's, he, what's he singing about? Well, apparently, you know, he was cooperating also as part of the Cohen investigation. But for Trump, this is another situation where uh, the people you do business with come back to haunt you. Uh, the AP reported that, Cohen, that, that Pecker has a literal safe in the National Choir offices where he keeps damaging information about people, including uh, President Trump, um, which is, you know, it's certainly a bit of irony that we've been talking for the last, you know, year and a half about the possibility that Russians have damaging information about the president. Uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, Honest American uh, has one now, too. <laughs> well, and what, <laughs> but it, <coughs> again, is he cooperating with Mueller, with the New York prosecutors, or what's his role here? And and why would they give him immunity? Well, in a case like use immunity, they, got, again, they have to expect right that he's got something that they need. Right. And the question is, what they need is that just for, to bring down Cohen, or is that something a broader look at Trump's campaign activities, his campaign finance? Uh, relationships, whether there are payments to other people um, that the president might not have wanted to speak out during the campaign. If they're taking a broader look, then they might have granted him a broader slate of immunity. If, however, the federal prosecutors in Manhattan were just looking at, uh, you know, Cohen and just trying to close that case, it might have just been a, a situation where they say, look, tell us what you know. We won't hold it against you, and we'll just use it for this circumstance. Is it safe to say, so when you add all these together, right? right. Manafort, Cohen, Weisselberg, William Pecker, go down the list. 
that Trump is in greater legal jeopardy today than ever before? I would say so, yes. Uh, certainly more so than he was at this time last week. Um, the big reason is, is that- Last week. Last yeah. week. Yeah. I mean, on, on Monday last week, uh, you know, the, the, the Russian investigation had not yet yielded anybody that hadn't uh, pled guilty as part of a plea agreement. So on one hand, you have a jury finding, yes, there are witches here. Um, this is not, you know, mm -hmm. all made up. Um, with regards to Cohen, it's, it's unclear the extent to which he has information that could be damaging to the present and the future. Um, it's unclear. We, we, we heard some reports that were then sort of pulled back from his lawyer that he might know things about the Russia relationship. Um, you know, it's, it's part of a chain where these small things could lead to greater things down in the road. What uh, about the doorman? <laughs> uh, I believe this is the uh, doorman of one of the other Trump hotels. Right. Uh, you know, this is this is part of a pattern where Trump employees, um, there's sort of a relationship there that you don't normally have in American businesses, where there's a lot more expectation of personal fidelity, of covering up for the boss, um, than you see in, you know, say, Amazon, for example. I mean, I guess tweeting counts with, yeah. with yeah. Jeff Bezos. But, uh, you know, the expectations there are different. And the danger for the president is that these people will now come back uh, in a position to give information to people, whether it's to the press, whether it's to prosecutors, that could be damaging to them. So what I, I mean, again, I was on vacation, but trying to keep up a little bit. And what I read was that this doorman claims that he had given his story to the National Enquirer as well, like Stormy Daniels. Mm -hmm. He was paid for them not to publish the story, mm -hmm. which Pecker did as a favor to Donald Trump. Right. Right. And his story, which he's now willing to tell, where he alleges that Donald Trump had an affair with a housekeeper at one of, at this Trump Tower, whichever one it was, and that they had an illegitimate child. Right. And now he's willing to tell this story. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, certainly, you know, the 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 issue here also is with Pecker himself. Uh, the president, you know, has criticized the media for being fake news, for being things like that. And you have a situation where he's been working with a media mogul himself to catch and capture and kill dangerous stories. Uh, the extent to which that could cause legal problems for him down the road, it's hard to say. Um, the extent to which, you know, it, it once again reflects badly on the president is, is great. I mean, it is ironic, and we're going to be talking with Matt Gertz uh, in the next half hour about more on about media matters, um, uh, media issues. But ironic that while he's attacking fake news all the time, he's really... M uh, making a deal with uh, well, uh, something I've considered fake news forever, right. which is the National Enquirer, right? Right. You Hardly know, a legitimate news source. Between that and the reports in the 80s that he used to impersonate his, uh, his yes. himself and, and give, you know, flattering stories. Name? John, John Barron. Barron. John yeah. Barron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, between those two reports, obviously uh, Trump's, Trump's attacks on the media are, are unacceptable, but you can certainly see how he would develop a, a sort of disdain for journalistic practices when his experience is the National Enquirer and, you know, John Barron. So 30 days has September, April, June, and November. So we have 31 days in, in August, and today's the 27th. That means only four days before the uh, Robert Mueller investigation shuts down. Yeah, if, <laughs> if, uh, if we're to believe Rudy Giuliani, who has... Well, well he's told us so many times. It's, it's, it's over on he September He only 1. tells the truth. And he's yeah, never right. led us astray. No. no. Uh, so, gosh, so the Mueller report should be up by the end of the week, I guess, I, right? I, I would expect... And well, <laughs> I mean, we'll see. <laughs> well, you know, the thing silly. about that is that, you know, Rudy Giuliani 
there's a tendency for Trump's lawyers that's been widely reported to tell him what he wants to hear, that this investigation is closing down, that it's on its way out, that it's going away. Um, By the way, that was November, the first time I recall was Thanksgiving 2017. Yep. And that that was all supposed to be wrapped up by then. And then it was Christmas. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Trump wised up and fired the lawyers who told him that. (laughs) Uh, So now it's September 1. Yes. I think there is something... This is like the, back in those days when everybody said it was the end of the world. Remember, there were all those prophets. There's, 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 oh, yeah. The end of the world is going to happen, and, and all of the followers would get their white robes on and gather on the hilltop, and then nothing right. happened. <laughs> I, I, I do think there, there is certainly a, a belief among some legal experts that there might be a kernel of truth to what Giuliani is saying, that as we get closer to the midterms, uh, Mueller and his team will be less likely to take major steps in the investigation for fear of interfering with the midterm. So they'll wait until... That doesn't mean they'll shut down. That doesn't mean just, they'll shut down. That just, just means, means they'll kind they'll, of go quiet. They'll go quiet. Which for I'm, Mueller is pretty easy since he's been pretty quiet, <laughs> I was gonna say. generally speaking, <laughs> right, uh, right. You know, except for, for filing motions in court this whole time. But yeah, but the only, the only exception to that is uh, there will be an ongoing trial of Paul Manafort unless, again, as you pointed out earlier, Manafort does the unexpected, which is to... Right. And we also know that he's going to speak with uh, one of Roger Stone's associates before the grand jury on September 7th, uh, which is already a pretty effective refutation of Giuliani's idea that this is all going to go away on Labor Day. When does the Manafort trial start? It starts about midway through. I don't have the exact date, but starts about midway through September, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know. So let's say it goes a month. That's going to be mid-September to Mm mid-October. Right. Yeah. Uh, That might have some influence on the uh, midterm elections. Uh, especially if he's found guilty again. And these charges are, you know, obviously and everybody is innocent before proven guilty, but these charges in theory should be a little easier to prove. What is the difference between the charges for in the second trial and the, and the charges in the first? Well, the charges in the D.C. trial uh, more closely relate to some of his political activities in terms of consulting, uh, his failure to register as a foreign agent with the Justice Department. Uh, those, those are one set. And then there's a second set, which is his uh, alleged witness tampering. Uh, where earlier this summer, right, right. Man, you know, okay. uh, Mueller hauled him into jail because he was allegedly talking to other people uh, about the case and trying to, you know, compare stories. Okay. Um, you alluded to something earlier, which I think is maybe the bigger story here uh, in terms of seeing the forest, can't see the forest for the trees, but, um, and that is the president's overall attack on the American system of justice. I mean, here's a man who daily almost attacks the attorney general, the Justice Department, the FBI, mm-hmm. the legal system, flipping is just one example of it. I mean, but, 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 you know, while, while pledging, I have great respect for law enforcement people and everything. I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of systems justice, he's, he's really tearing it down uh, across the board. Right. And what long-term impact could that have? Well, the worst fear for, for prosecutors in this situation is that they'll bring a case before, you know, an elected <laughs> official, a, a representative, a corruption case, or something, you know, uh, else major. They'll go before a jury, and the jurors will come back and say, we didn't believe the prosecutor. We think that, you know, this may have been rigged, this may have been set up. Uh, you know, we can't trust witnesses who, who flip on, on their bosses. Uh, if that spreads, throughout the American people, if that belief becomes common. A lack of trust, a lack of confidence in the justice system. Right. right? Um, A lot of American institutions operate on the premise that everybody is acting in good faith and that people trust one another. 
Um, the more the president chips away at that, uh, the greater risk is that, that some of this could simply not work, uh, especially when it comes to trials where the jury is the ultimate arbiter of who goes to jail and who doesn't. And even Jeff Sessions, who has been pilloried more than anybody else around Donald Trump, last week kind of, fi- kind of sort of fired back. Right. Uh, and Sessions has been really quiet about this, generally speaking, until last week. But no, he reasserted, you know, in a way that I, I, I think, you know, people who, who may have a lot of issues with Jeff Sessions about other policies, family separation, uh, you know, drug war, mass incarceration, his efforts to preserve the Justice Department's independence have been very significant in this, in this saga. Um, his refusal to have anything to do with firing Rosenstein, his refusal to sort of resign and let somebody else take his position. Um, you know, standing up for the Justice Department after these cases was not a small act, and it's really in, going to be an terms, as some senators have hinted, uh, Trump will fire him for it. I was going to ask you, how long before Trump fires him? Uh, well, the current expectation among some senators on the Hill is that it'll happen after the midterms. Um, if that happens, it could set off a chain of events that, that would be very serious for the president. Could, could he get another attorney general confirmed? Uh, well, the Ch- Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, says now, he didn't say this last year, and this is an important switch. He said last year, we don't have time for it. You won't get another one. Now, he says, we could make the space. Um, that's a signal that, that the president may interpret as a means of going forward. Well, yeah, and he's not the only one who has softened. I mean, originally, uh, there were several senators who said, oh, boy, if he fires Sessions, that's it, right? Yeah. And now as they have on every other issue, um, they're caving. I mm-hmm. mean, I see the evidence that they are. You mentioned Chuck Grassley, for example. The other is Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham at one point said, no, if you fire Sessions, like, that's it. You yeah. know? And now he's saying, well, everybody serves at the pleasure of the president. Classic Lindsey Graham right. folding, right? I mean, unrelated, but Lindsey Graham was... Allegedly, I guess I, I, I see, looked like it. John McCain's best friend in the Senate. I mean, they traveled all over the world together, right? Mm-hmm. If anybody treated my best friend the way Donald Trump treated John McCain, I'd be leading the charges against him. Instead, Lindsey Graham's out playing golf with him, right? And and flying up to Bedminster to have dinner with him. This is disgusting. Absolutely, totally disgusting. But. Th- this is a common thing, thing with Republicans and Trump, a situation where they criticize and castigate him early and then you know, roll over later. I mean, the best example to me is Ted Cruz, who had not only his father oh insulted, yeah. his oh wife God. insulted, yeah. him insulted, uh, made a public show of defiance at the Republican National Convention, one of the you know, signal moments of the year, and has now completely sort of adopted the Trump line. Right. By the way, you could add to that list Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio. You can add um, Rand Paul. I was going to name them. All of them name that ran him. against him that are still in some sort of office. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's interesting that Chris Christie, who has not become an anti-Trumper, but I mean, he he has like just over the weekend saying, no, flipping? No. That's what we do as the prosecutors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's maintained a little distance. So all the rest, all the rest of them they have. Go down the list, right? They're all either silent or they're total uh, open, openly supportive of what Donald Trump is doing. And the factor that they're looking at time and time again is his poll numbers. Uh, you know, he may have 40 percent, 42 percent with the American people as a whole, but he's running at 80 to 90 percent among Republicans. Uh, there's not really an electoral path for any of these guys if they defy the president. 
so until that number changes, it's hard to see how a lot of Republicans on Capitol Hill get in any mood to defy him. Uh, okay, we'll let you go, but first tell us, so what legal bombs are going to drop this week? Well, the one thing that Did, we should... You didn't drop them all last week, right? I mean, <laughs> didn't you save a couple for this week? Well, the one thing that, that we're watching out for now is what happens to Roger Stone. Oh, yes. Mueller has been in t- uh, systematically bringing every yeah. single one of his associates before the grand jury in the past six months. Right. But um, not Stone himself yet. But not Stone himself, which is a bad sign for Stone if the prosecutors aren't talking to you at all. Mm-hmm. This is the pattern we saw before the before uh, the indictment of Manafort. Yeah, pattern we saw before the indictment, oh, the God. guilty plea of Flynn. Um, oh, from your lips to God's ears. I know. I, I'm just like grinning <laughs> no, no, no. in you here know what? thinking about it. For some reason, for some reason, I don't know how. I I'm on Roger Stone's email list, so I get these oh. emails from him for raising money. He's always saying, "Robert Mueller is after me. You have to send me money." Right, it's building up his defense fund. Right. Every time I get one of those, I want to send Robert Mueller a check. <laughs> But uh, so that that could be the next one. Yeah, um, okay. that's what a lot of people are expecting. Matt Ford from New Republic, newrepublic.com. Uh, and the president, of course, still on a tear against the media and giving an exclusive hard hitting interview with Ainsley Earhart from Fox and Friends. Matt Gertz from Media Matters for America joins us next. Thanks, Matt, for coming in. Thank you. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. You bet it is the Bill Press Show, uh, as always, on a Monday, August 27. Good to see you and good to be back with you uh, after a little time off. Hope you don't hold that against me. Uh, But uh, you certainly had a lot to talk about last week uh, in my uh, absence, and so we uh, salute uh, Peter Ogburn and all the other good people who kept the show going, and Ray Rogers, and uh, who was in? Uh, Jason Dick was Jason in. Dick. Sabrina Siddiqui was in. Evan McMorris Santoro was here, and not only he was here, he was on time. No, yeah, he was here on time. So, <laughs> so a nice little group of people. Well, that, miracles you know, never cease. It takes a village when you're gone, Bill. So we, we, uh, we made it happen. <laughs> well, thank you all, and uh, thanks also to the American Federation of Teachers, uh, our sponsors here for this part of the program under President Randy Weingarten, Teachers of America. Active on the front lines on many, many uh, important issues, particularly in getting the House back into Democratic hands uh, this year. Uh, We salute them, thank them for the good work, and direct you to their website at AFT.org. And welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the uh, real world from (laughs) three months of paternity leave. Matt Gertz from Media Matters for America. Matt, good to see you, and congratulations. Good to see you, too. Thank you How's very much. How's your daughter doing? She's doing very well. She may actually be watching this morning, and All she may be right. very confused at what's going on right <laughs> yeah. now. Where's Daddy? Why uh, isn't he hi, here? Hi, sweetie. Congrats, <laughs> man. That's very cool. Thank you very much. Thank All you right. very much. Here we go. So, gosh, where do we start? I want to start, before we get to Donald Trump and Fo- and Fox and Friends and, and all the rest, um, uh, we lost a, a giant in more ways than one with uh, John McCain in the United States Senate. And um, one of the things, uh, and I was on vacation, I was asked to do Fox, uh, the media show. Media Buzz? Media Hashtag Buzz. Media Buzz. Hashtag Media Buzz, right. Yesterday to talk about um, my relations with uh, John McCain as, a, as when I was a co-host of Crossfire particularly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's so many differences between John McCain and, and Donald Trump. I mean, for Donald Trump, the media is the enemy of the American people. John McCain famously referred to the media as his base. Yes. <laughs> uh, and there was kind of, I admit, you know, particularly back in the year 2000, 
when I think McCain was at his best mm -hmm. running against George W. Bush in the Republican primary. Um, we were self-professed, we were covering the campaign, but we were self-professed McCainiacs, what yeah. we called ourselves right at the time, simply because he was so open, he was so accessible, um, and you didn't agree with him on everything, but, you know, he just, you could ask him any question at all. I rode on the Straight Talk Express, mm -hmm. uh, and in between campaign stops, you just sit on the bus, surrounded by reporters, you know, they, they limited the number, so it was like maybe eight or ten, and just have a wide-ranging conversation about anything. No other American politician I know would do that or is capable of doing that. Yeah, it's a, a remarkable effort in press relations, I think, and one that we uh, very rarely see and, and may not see again. Um, you know, certainly uh, he was uh, more open to reporters. I, I think you, you see the testimonials coming in. Uh, from them, every journalist seems to have a, a personal John McCain story. Um, I do not, uh, but um, you know, it's uh, obvious that he touched a lot of people. That he uh, seemed to show real interest in reporters and their concerns, um, and I think that certainly benefited him as a politician. Um, I think he got an awful lot of, of slack in cases where other politicians would not uh, in doing the same thing. Um, uh, but certainly there, there is sort of a model there that you don't see anyone else uh, really trying to attempt. And, and perhaps it's be, perhaps it's just a personal thing that he just had a way, a, a sort of charisma that worked in a way that other people's just doesn't. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, okay, so he was running in the Republican primary against mm -hmm. W, yep. George W. Bush. It wasn't just that John McCain was willing to do that. He was capable of doing it. It was. It would be impossible for George W. Bush to sit there and entertain questions on any topic mm -hmm. at all that came up yep. and have something to say about it and have any knowledge of those issues. Uh, and uh, and I, I also think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but he had a way of highlighting his own um, lack of knowledge about particular topics in a way that was charming and winning mm -hmm. and uh, allowed him to sort of skate on you know, not being fully conversant with a, a big chunk of policy. Now, I, I would argue that that's not ideal, that in fact you, you want someone who's running for president to like know a lot about the economy, and that just wasn't an area that he ever had a particular interest in. Um, I think in the long run, you know, as president, that that would have caused some some problems for us, um, and that that I think is an area where, uh, you know, he's there's again there's a benefit of the doubt there that I think other politicians don't necessarily get uh, by virtue of the fact that he was, uh, you know, so engaging and obviously uh, you know his personal story, uh, you know, being a, a war hero, uh, being tortured uh, in Vietnam. You know, I I had the um, uh, privilege of being able to go to Vietnam and go to the Hanoi Hilton and see the cell in which he was kept, and really is quite moving. Oh, really? Yeah. You've just seen that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to do that someday. He, um, uh, you, you mentioned the economy re reminded me famously. It was in the middle of the um, of the campaign when the economy crashed, mm -hmm. and uh, John McCain said we needed a the president should call like basically a summit, right, mm -hmm. to decide what to do. Uh, and and then they they have the summit. And, and they had the summit, and John McCain and and uh, um, Barack Obama, Barack Obama, Obama both, yeah, both went, mm -hmm. and John McCain had nothing to say. Yeah, and it became sort of an embarrassment, right, that he yeah. didn't have a plan as to what we should do to get out of the 
fiscal crisis you know, of 2008. And I think that that's something that sort of, you know, in all of the attributes and testimonials is, is getting left behind a little bit. You know, there are a lot of uh, pieces and comments that I'm saying that I'm seeing that say, you know, it would have been great if John McCain had been president. Um, and I think that that is an argument that very rarely sort of comes to grips with what he was actually running on in 2008 and what his particular strengths and weaknesses were. Um, you know, as uh, a candidate who was overwhelmingly focused on uh, foreign policy and the military, uh, it might not have been a, a great fit during a time of total economic collapse. Um, you know, he just didn't have the skill set, I think, that we needed at that time. Right. And um, and we can't forget that uh, he may have wanted to do Joe Lieberman, but he ended up doing Sarah Palin, and, yes. um, for w- which he regretted mm-hmm. uh, and admitted admitted that he had screwed up in that particular case. Uh, and I think it does speak volumes, as we mentioned earlier, that with all the tributes to John McCain this week, uh, Donald Trump still won't even pronounce his name, and he has been told he is not welcome yeah. uh, at the Arizona State Capitol, at the United States State Capitol, at the National Cathedral, or at the United States Naval Academy. Yeah. And I believe the Sunday. news today is that the the flag is already uh, back at, at full mast um, at the uh, you know all the way at the top of the staff at the uh, White House and uh, the. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's which yeah. I think is is pretty obviously insulting and fairly unprecedented. I mean, that's just not how that's supposed to work. But And while yesterday everybody was paying tribute to John McCain, Donald Trump was on the golf course. I'm surprised he wasn't on the golf course with Lindsey Graham, although he may have been, for <laughs> all I know. I don't know. Um, so the, <laughs> you uh, famously, uh, and we've talked about it, but a few months ago you spent how, how long, six months or so, Following, watching Fox and Friends every morning, and then following Donald Trump's tweets, and yeah. making the very obvious connection, right, that he was mm-hmm. tweeting, he was live tweeting Fox and Friends. Still, yes. still. Uh, yes, I I came back, and the first day I was back, I, I noticed, oh yes, here here we have the same the same tweet patterns that I've seen before. Check uh, what's happening on Fox and Friends. Compare the two, and yes, it's it's the same thing continues to happen uh, and the same thing also isn't it with uh, the primetime shows which he probably i guess he watches on tape the next day or Some, the next, well, sometimes live sometimes, and sometimes live sometimes he tivos them and TVs, watches them the yeah, next day yeah. um he gets in a lot of watching cable news for someone who's supposed to be president of the united states uh but yes we've seen a little bit more of that um uh in in recent days i think um, uh, and and to the extent of um, being part of Fox and Friends, giving an exclusive interview last week to that hard-hitting journalist, uh, Ainsley, Ainsley Earhart. Earhart. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think this is the maybe the third interview that uh, he's done with her. Um, you know, it is. He's uh, done some with all three. Some with of all them. three. Some with just her. Um, some with uh, the weekend hosts. Um, he loves the show. He likes the fact that uh, they don't question him uh, basically ever. Um, and, uh, you know, clearly that is a interview style that he's very comfortable with and one that the White House is happy to book him on because they know that while he may say, you know, his sort of typical terrible things and, and cause a bit of an uproar, he's not going to be pressed to reveal something important like he was, mm. you know, in the Lester Holt interview where mm-hmm. you know, after a series of questions, he admits that contrary to what the White House been, had been saying for several days, uh, that uh, he had fired James Comey because of the Russia investigation. Right. 
So what news did he make in the Ansley Earhart interview? It's not really a ton of news that was made, I would say. He said a couple of uh, particularly um, comments that suggest that he has the mindset of a uh, mafia boss, I would say. <laughs> um, which, you know, he, he just very obviously, this, this all happened in the wake of uh, Paul Manafort being uh, found guilty of eight counts uh, of, of federal mm -hmm. crimes uh, and uh, Michael Cohen pleading uh, guilty to uh, eight counts as well uh, uh, and uh, suggesting that uh, he had been ordered by uh, Donald Trump to make illegal payments in order to right. keep women from coming forward during the election uh, and uh, saying that they had had affairs uh, with uh, President Trump. Uh, and so this is, uh, you know, illegal campaign contributions uh, that he was masterminding at, and according to him at the behest of the president of the United States. So not great. Um, and so, you know, in light of that or or in, in the wake of that, he uh, appeared on Fox and Friends uh, and he basically seems to think that uh, Michael Cohen is a rat and that is bad and that perhaps you shouldn't be allowed to, um, you know, plead in exchange for like giving testimony on someone else um, and that the crimes that he had been charged with were not real crimes. Um, and that is something that he says that he got from, he, he actually said during this interview, you know, I, I, I saw people on television explaining that uh, mm. Michael Cohen, uh, you know, hadn't, these weren't even crimes. Um, and, you know, some, some sometimes you can learn good things from the television. And he's learning these things from Fox News, right? These, these are, I went back and, and traced that argument and it's one that was being made uh, over the previous days on Sean Hannity's show and on Fox and Friends uh, by the same sort of cast of characters by that Napolitano have been... Uh, no, not Napolitano. Napolitano actually <laughs> is generally not disastrous. Uh, it's it's actually Greg Jarrett, who is the mm, sort of yeah. uh, former court TV anchor and then was a weekend anchor on Fox for a long time and has reinvented himself as the guy that people like Sean Hannity and the Fox and Friends cast turn to to explain how uh, the president and his associates didn't do any crimes and the real crimes were committed by Hillary Clinton uh, and right. everyone involved in the investigation. Um, and so he he has um, a, a new book out um, about this, this supposed witch hunt uh, and the president has uh, apparently, while I was... Uh, on leave, repeatedly tweeting about how everyone should go read the book because it tells the real story about what's happening. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he's there's this feedback loop happening where, uh, you know, he is watching these people on television uh, making arguments about how he did nothing wrong. And then he comes, you know, out either in interviews on Fox itself or through his tweets and parrots those same arguments. Then uh, both Fox and everyone else is trying to figure out, well, Fox is just repeating, oh, yes, the president said this thing, and it's correct, and everyone else is trying to explain why the legal theory that the president of the United States is suddenly uh, tweeting about on a, a random Wednesday morning is, in fact, like something that makes no sense. In addition to Fox and Friends, who are his other primary sources on Fox? Uh, Lou Dobbs is oh, uh, a big one. Yeah. Unbelievable. So it's interesting. He's yeah. sort of in many ways kind of a, a proto-Donald Trump. You know, he was, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. very much invested in the same sort of uh, criticism of uh, immigration uh, and uh, trade um, and has really uh, built that. It built a Trump Trumpism into his central brand at Fox. Um he has a show that's technically on the Fox Business Network, but in fact is almost entirely a straightforward political show about how 
uh, Donald Trump is like basically a demigod and everyone who's criticizing him is terrible and should probably be in jail. <laughs> um, I think that sums it that's up. That's real. Like yeah. I, I, that's a slight exaggeration for effect, but not too much of one. He, it really is fairly horrifying to watch yeah. that program. Janine Pirro is another one, um, longtime friend uh, of Trump uh, and someone who has a sort of similar uh, similar themes um, that she's just sort of repeating again and again. She has a, the, a Saturday night uh, program on Fox News. Judge Janine right. Pirro. Uh, also with a book out. Uh, indeed, yeah. Uh, also, with a book that gets praised by Donald Trump, uh, you know, and these are people who he not uh, who so he watches these shows, he tweets about these shows, um, and he has personal connections with the hosts of those shows. Uh, and in each case, you know, Janine Pirro has been to the White House a couple of times uh, for like Oval Office meetings with the president and high-ranking members of his administration, which she says that like Jeff Sessions should be fired. Um, mm. You know, you uh, Lou Dobbs uh, reportedly uh, was in the Daily Beast uh, several months ago that the president not only talks to Lou Dobbs a lot, but will have him on speakerphone uh, in White House meetings to like make the case that he has been making on television to the president's aides. Uh, Hannity uh, has been referred to as a mm -hmm. sort of shadow chief of staff. He's apparently mm -hmm. having you know conversations with the president almost every night, sometimes multiple times a day. Uh, and the president watches that show, too. So there's this sort of, uh, you know, we're way over the line between a, a general media uh, principle relationship. The, I mean, he, it really is a, you know, sort of direct, direct uh, advisory role that all of these people are playing uh, in the administration um, with the president seeking their feedback and giving their uh, and really promoting their them personally. Uh, they, they've uh, each gained quite a lot of sort of, uh, I think, power within Fox uh, from that relationship. And you'd have to add Tucker Carlson to the list, too. A you? little less, I think, yeah. uh, than the others. Certainly, uh, that's a, a program that he watches, uh, as we saw uh, this week, uh, where uh, Tucker Carlson did a, uh, a show in which he claimed uh, falsely that there was like uh, that that um, lots of uh, land is being taken from white farmers in South Africa, uh, which is a, a sort of long-running white nationalist right. trope. Yeah, uh, and <clears throat> the president saw that and tweeted about it, um, and then got caught in the facts. Yeah, so. and and then so this is this is where we have this is I think the third international incident that's been caused by the president watching or, or the president or a member of his administration parroting things that they saw. On Fox and Friends, there's so, this. There was one with uh, Norway where the president said that there had been some sort of terrorist attack that hadn't happened. Uh, Sweden. Sweden, not Norway. Sweden. And then the third one um, is uh, Sean Spicer uh, saying that uh, the British uh, had conspired with Obama uh, against Trump. Um, and that caused a, a, a bit of a mess. Are there any critical vo uh, voices on Fox? Uh, the reason I ask is I think I read – I was on vacation last week – that Neil Cavuto had now Neil, you mentioned Fox mm -hmm. Business. Yep. Neil Cavuto really started Fox Business. Mm -hmm. I guess it was the one put in charge of putting that together. Still has his program on, and he was he's been pretty critical of. Uh, yeah, Donald he's Trump. been not entirely. There's there's some there's there's him. Uh, Shep Smith, Shep Smith. Uh, has been quite critical, and in fact, you can sort of probably see, the most critical of all. Yeah, Shep. I would say, and and almost um, almost. 
uh, critical of Fox itself. I mean, you see a lot of cases where Shep Smith is pushing back against claims that are made uh, on Sean Hannity's show. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think it, it's quite obvious that you know his star has been on the decline, and and Sean Hannity's sh- uh, yeah, star has been right. on the rise oh, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, it's not having a too much of an impact, I would say, on that audience. Right. So uh, if Chef Smith and then Neil Cavuto and I saw again, just coming back, so I'm not totally up to date, that there are a couple of Fox reporters who... There, there, I believe, and I'm uh, I'm also not yeah, uh, just okay. getting back, but uh, yes, a couple of uh, reporters on the news side uh, have recently uh, resigned. Because uh, they didn't like the direction the Fox News was going yes. in. But they um, were not major... Not, not not huge not figures. Not anchors, not hosts, um, not major. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was, and you know, the degree to. So I think one of them was the Jerusalem correspondent, and one of them is Adam Housley, who's uh, done a sort of uh, uh, a lot, a lot of different reporting for the network. Um, you know, I, on the one hand, you know, it, it it's good that they finally realized that. This is what they were participating in. On the other hand, they have been participating in all of this for a, a very long time. It's a, there's a sort of uh, people tend to have like a a moment where they suddenly realize that Fox News is bad, uh, and it has been bad for a very long time. It's not like you know there was a moment where uh, uh, Bill Crystal, I think, uh, was, has a pretty good one of these where he's he basically says, you know, uh, when I when I was at Fox, things were fine, but. Uh, now, you know, since I've left, I, I can tell that things have gotten much worse. And I look at that and I say, well, you left in 2012, which was like after the period in which yeah. Glenn Beck was totally bonkers every night. Uh, so, I, you know, I kind of think that the, the, the paycheck running out is probably part of the reason that you now think that it perhaps was not so great for you to say, be a part uh, of that. Uh, I, mean, so. I was going to say, yes, it's true that Fox, I think, has gone farther right or further in the pocket of the Republican Party and Donald Trump now than we've ever seen. But that's not saying a whole I mean, they were but, pretty I'm not, bad. I'm not sure but I even say, that. I, I think that it's, you know, I think that Fox reinvents itself with the Republican Party of its era. Yeah. And now I think because Trump is so obviously risable to most people, it becomes more obvious that when you're in the tank for uh, someone of that type, that like there's something clearly wrong. Uh, but, you know, yeah. Fox Fox News's promotion of the Tea Party, for instance, was not, I would say, good journalism. No, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. the Benghazi stuff was a, a horrendous nightmare. Yeah. Um, yeah you know. The fact that Bill Crystal. You know, thinks that back in his day, Fox was fair and balanced, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on, come yeah. on. I mean, no, it it, but... it is what it is, and it always has been. It's it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a news outlet designed to, uh, you know, get viewership from conservatives uh, and you know reflect back the Republican Party in the best light possible. Uh, that was its goal from the very beginning. Uh, Roger Ailes, and he was brilliant at it, and mm-hmm. he he created just a kind of right-wing conservative media beast that he wanted to, and from the beginning, and yep. those who were part of it at, at that time. You're right. It reflected the Republican Party of that time, and now it's just a total reflection of uh, of, of Donald Trump. Uh, hey, Peter, can we can we play one Sarah Huckabee Sanders one more time? Because in the light of all of this, this is what we hear every day uh, from the White House. That's a ridiculous accusation. The president in this matter has done nothing wrong, and there are no charges against him. <laughs> <laughs> I like the no charges against him yeah, yeah, part because yeah, it's yeah. like, well, whatever he did, it wasn't a crime. But right. also, you can't charge the president with a crime, so we've kind of we're kind of playing that yeah, one. We're both back ways. into a corner here. Yeah, yeah. 
and they've charged. Uh, so I, I thought last week one 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 front page of the New York Times was just brutal. It had the photos of all those who have flipped or been convicted yep. or corrupted. There were there were six top aides who have pleaded or, or have uh, confessed, basically of cooperating with Mueller and said, "Yeah, we we did." And then one convicted, yeah. Paul Manafort. And then uh, the White House is saying, well, the president has been, hasn't been convicted yet. Yeah, everybody around him has, but yeah. he hasn't yet. There's, there's always it's a reason for pers- it to be fine. It's, it's either, you know, if it's a crime, that it's not collusion. If it's collusion, that it's not a crime. If it's not, if it's the president's associates, it's not the president. If it's the president doing something, you can't charge him with the crime. Look, there's always a reason why actually things are fine and it's a witch hunt. Yeah. And when he finally is convicted, their defense will be, well, what took them so long? <laughs> it can't be serious it took them this long. I don't know. Matt Gertz keeps you busy. Good to have you back, man. Thank Good to you be so back. Much. Thanks so much. Uh, Matt Gertz at Media Matters, MediaMatters.org. That's it for this Monday. This is the Bill Press Show. <laughs>